0: go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're looking at verses 35 to 48. And I do encourage you to keep your Bibles open uh, throughout the sermon, because we will be looking at specific verses together, and the purpose of that is, instead of just taking my word for what I say, um, I would like us to see from your own copy of God's word that what I am saying is true to Scripture. Today we'll be continuing the sermon series, starting through the Gospel of Luke, in order to rediscover Jesus. For some of us, discover Jesus for the first time. But together, looking to learn who Jesus is, what he did, and what it has to do with our lives today. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' challenging words, and he was warning us, warning disciples about hypocrisy as well as our greed. Last week, we looked at Jesus' encouraging words, as he addressed our anxieties and our worries. And in today's text, Jesus will do a bit of both. He will encourage disciples, as well as challenge disciples, to be ready for his return. So please follow along with me as I read from Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. We also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour we do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so doing when he comes. Surely I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, The master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready, or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know, and did what deserved the beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they trusted much, they will demand the more. That's the word of God. Amen. This will be an important text for us to study together because we often think of the Lord's return in unbiblical and incorrect ways. Some Christians early on in church history have tried to calculate, starting from early church history, i was tried to calculate the exact time and day that Jesus was going to return. Early theologians thought it would be in the year 500, and it was not the case. Many predictions were made after that, and up till even more recently, in 2020, when Covid started. And if this is you trying to calculate and know when Jesus is coming, I assure you there is no need to try to calculate and look for signs that are not there. Some of us, on the other hand, might have given up thinking that Jesus will return soon because it's been so long and we are tired of waiting. And it might make us think that it might be just better to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die and we don't know if Jesus will ever come back. Some of us view Jesus' return with a desire to escape our current problems. I've been stuck in traffic once with crying babies in the car and I've wished Jesus to come back immediately to end my misery. But seriously, for you, it could be of more serious matters that you just want to get out of. It It might be a current conflict you just can't solve. It might be a current marriage situation, and even other current struggles and sufferings you face. While it's not wrong to know that heaven is a better place, just as Jesus promised, we have to understand that Jesus' return is not about us getting out of situations, that we don't like. Even New Testament writers wrote that it is better for Christ to return, and that it is that to die is to gain, but still, they say, to live is Christ. We have to learn that every Bible passage about the return of Christ is written for a practical purpose for Christians. Not for us to just escape our situations, but rather it is to motivate our obedience our faithful living in the current situations in our lives the bible's teachings on Jesus' Jesus' return is meant for us to face our world today not to escape and to be encouraged and to be ready to approach the life that we have been given by God to be ready until he returns so the one thing for us today is simply this, we must be ready when our Lord Jesus returns, we must be ready when our Lord Jesus returns. We'll look at three lessons on the Lord's return and how his disciples must be ready. First, recall, to stay awake because the Lord will serve his watching servants when he returns. Second, stay faithful because the Lord has entrusted his servants with his household until he returns. And third, stay sober because the Lord will punish unfaithful servants as unbelievers when he returns. Would you bow with your heads with me one more time as I pray for the preaching of God's word. Lord, we come before you. And we thank you for your word that teaches us and directs us in our lives. We come, acknowledging that we may have unbiblical and even selfish perspectives as we look to your return. And so God, as we look in your word, teach us what we do not know about your return. Correct us in our wrong perspectives. Will you encourage us and empower us to then live accordingly to your words of life that we may be ready, faithful servants, waiting and watching as we live in this world, waiting for you to return to us as you promised as you promised you. Would. So, guide us, Holy Spirit, at this time. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay, first, stay awake, because the Lord will serve is watching servants when he returns. So, Jesus has been teaching his disciples, and he will continue to teach his disciples how to be awake, how to be spiritually awake, that is, in a world full of darkness and sin. He's been teaching so far, in Luke chapter 12, to take our eyes off of earthly things and pointing our eyes to heaven. Because being spiritually asleep means we spend our time, treasures, and talents as if this world is all that there is more commonly known as YOLO, which promotes people to live for their enjoyment now, promotes people to live for excitement now as the ultimate goal in life, even if their actions are risky. But being spiritually awake means that we know this earthly life is only temporary. It's just a mist that comes and soon will fly away. And those who are spiritually awake can see clearly that eternity is far more valuable than everything we could possibly have and experience in this time on earth now. So instead of trying to gather an abundance of earthly possessions for ourselves, Jesus teaches us to be rich toward God. Instead of being anxious about not having enough of our earthly needs, Jesus tells us to trust that God, our Heavenly Father, knows exactly all that we need. So we should see his kingdom and have our treasure be in heaven, not on earth. And now in today's text, Jesus continues to teach disciples to stay spiritually awake using a few parables as illustrations. Parables are one of Jesus' favorite teaching tools that we must carefully study and understand in order to properly live out the truth that he is teaching to us. So follow along with me because some common situations in Jesus' parables Are not exactly common for us today. So let's look at the first parable. It says in verses 35 to 36, He says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. In this parable, there's a master who has gone to a wedding feast, so he has left his house to his servants. Lent during those days could last up to a week, and celebrations could go late into the night. So Jesus here is emphasizing these wonderful servants in the detail of them watching for their master to come home. Their watchfulness is seen in how they are dressed for action. The original phrase here is actually an idiom that says, Gird your loins, gird yourself. And so, This means uh, the men during that time did not wear pants like men wear today. Uh, Men in the ancient Near East were long robes. There were sleeveless tunics that went down below the knees. So, if these men needed to do manual labor, or if they needed to be mobile and quick to be able to move about, they would pick up the cloth from their legs and wrap it into their belt. Once they girded their loins, they could get to work. If you saw a man with their loins girded, serious business. Their watchfulness also shows in how they're keeping their lamps burning. Back then, it was a lot of work to keep a light on. Not like us today. We forget to turn off the lights and they stay on all night by accident. It's my job every night in my house to turn off everything my kids have switched on throughout the day. But to keep a lamp shining for them, these servants had to make sure that they refill the oil and make sure that the wick of the lamp was burning properly. It was a watchful work. So the point of this parable is to show how ready these servants are for their master. They're not passive. They're not lazy. They're not sluggish about their master coming home. But they're described by active service, ongoing preparations, and constant watchfulness. Verse 38 says that even in the second watch, or the third watch, which was just the time before, right before sunrise, these servants are always ready, awake, and watching. But before this parable ends, Jesus puts a strange plot twist. Because even with all their waiting and watching, the servants won't be the ones who are serving when their master comes home. It says in verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes home. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. How strange. This is as strange for the disciples then as it is for us today. Why in the world would the master come to serve his servants after expecting his servants to watch for his return? All the masters in this world would use and even abuse their power, and the people under them for their personal benefit. But this unique master dresses himself for service. He girds his loins. He seats his servants at his table, perhaps even washing their feet. And he comes serving them the feast that he himself deserves. Who is this master? We'll get back to that answer in just a moment. Because to properly resolve this first parable, Jesus gives another parable. The second parable, we have to see that Jesus is still using the same theme of a master and his house. So it might be a little bit confusing what he is talking about now. We have to know that he is coming at the similar setup with a different angle. Because the master of the house is now dealing with one of the worst scenarios that a homeowner could face. It says in verse 39, but know this that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now, there's a thief who broke into his house at a time he was not expecting. And this is obviously how thieves work. Thieves don't tell you in advance when they are coming. Thieves are successful when no one is waiting and no one is watching. So this leads to the conclusion of these parables in verse 30, where Jesus says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming, at an hour we do not expect. So here we see the answer to that question. In the first parable, there could only be one like that unique master. Who is this master? It's Jesus Christ alone. There's no master like Jesus. And here is the gospel of Jesus presented to us. Because not only did Jesus take off his outer garment and put on a towel to wash the disciples' feet, he also served his disciples a preview, a foretaste of a great wedding feast in that upper room at the Lord's Supper. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Savior King, came to his people. And we know he came not to be served in God's word. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus alone, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings, went to the cross. And there, Jesus dressed himself for service again. But this time, with a crown of thorns on his head, and putting on our stained garments of our shame and our sinfulness, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven. He has promised He'll return the same way from heaven. We don't know the day or the hour, but Jesus will surely return. And when He does, He will come with the eternal blessing of heaven. And His people will appear with Him in glory. all those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb of God will be blessed when He returns. So we must be ready and spiritually awake when our Lord returns. The first way we do this is by repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus Christ. Believing in him not just as our Savior, but also believing in him as our Lord, who is worthy of our service, who deserves our submission and our surrender. So if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, I pray as you look to this unique Lord of Lords, Master of all, our Savior came after to it today with the day of salvation for you. All who believe in Jesus and surrender their whole lives to Him are welcomed into His household. Welcomed as servants whom our Lord will serve when He returns. For those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus some time ago, Jesus especially calls us today to be ready and spiritually awake. Because right now, we live in an age of spiritual darkness where people are being lulled to spiritual sleep. We are in the final days where everything in the world is pulling us away from Christ before Jesus returns. So we must keep our lights shining bright and we must stay spiritually awake. We do this by being in God's Word personally, by being in God's Word regularly, this is a problem for most of us because God's word makes us sleepy if we're honest with ourselves and this needs to change does the word of God shine brightly for you more than anything else in this world is the word of God like a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path or are we so easily attracted to duller lights of this world like bugs flying into a trap. For those of us who claim to be spiritually awake in Christ, because we have to faith in Him, we must be warned. Are we starting to feel spiritually, sleeping? Are we starting to make excuses? We're not living for the Lord. Make excuses and find reasonings to live for ourselves. When the Lord returns, will He find us in our sleeping clothes, in our pajamas? he really find us ready. God's word is calling us to action. We must be prepared to serve. We must keep our sleeves rolled up. We must keep God's word as our light, always on, shining in the spiritual darkness that is drawing us back in. We must keep on our serving clothes, dressed in the righteousness of Christ who has served us and who will serve us again calls out to us, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is coming again to take his people home. So stay awake. Be in God's Word because the Lord will serve his watching servants when he returns. That's the first lesson. second lesson is this. Stay faithful for the Lord has entrusted his servants with his gospel until he returns. Now on this side of history, we have the benefit of knowing and understanding Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, and ascension, so that we will be ready all the more for his return. But for Peter here, he doesn't know any of this right now. At this moment, he does not have the full understanding that we do in the rest of the New Testament scriptures. So he asks Jesus in verse 41, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? I don't think we can be exactly sure what Peter was thinking, whether he's asking on behalf of the twelve apostles or all disciples or all people in general. And it would be nice to get a direct answer from Jesus. But it seems here that Peter's question might not have been a good question. And Jesus, as often as he does, he answers the question with his own question. And on top of that, he answers it with another parable about a master to find a particular servant who's, who the master sets as the manager of his household. Let's take a look at verse 42. and two. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? In this parable now, the master again is away from his house. But now he decides to put one in charge to oversee everyone in that house, as well as all and, and everything in the house, to make sure all the tasks uh, and the house is in order and running smoothly. He has the master's food and resources at his expense to feed the people in the house and to care for them at the proper times. This servant was entrusted with the privilege of responsibility in his master's household. And because he is, he was he is doing what he was entrusted to do, he is considered to be faith and wise by the master. So Jesus' question here is a better question than Peter's, and we can answer Jesus' question with this parable. Jesus is not pointing to a particular group of people, or even by a to a particular person, by highlighting this role manager. Instead, he's using this model servant as an example for his disciples to desire to be like this manager in his household. We should desire to be like this faithful manager. Because God, our God in his grace, he has given everyone his portion of time, his or her portion, portion of time, treasures, and talents. And everyone, believer or not, everyone is responsible to use what God has given them in this lifetime for his glory and for his purposes unbelievers can only live for themselves, their own glory, their own desires, because their hearts have not yet been won over by the glory and the goodness of God. They're still in darkness.
1: Only God's
0: people can live for God, because they have tasted that the Lord is good. They are the ones who have believed in Jesus by faith. They have been captivated by His great mercy and His love. All who believe, we are the servants that are welcomed by God, and we joyfully enter into his household, which you know from Scripture. God's household, the Lord's household, is his church. We may have joyfully entered in when we first entered in, but the problem comes later when we don't joyfully remain in the church. All believers are entrusted with matters of our Lord's household. Each of us given time, churches, and talents, and the responsibility to feed other servants in this house. Every believer is responsible for feeding the flock, to care for the body, the church, to build up God's people. But this is completely opposite of our natural sinful desire to be fed only without having to feed others. There are many times when church members consider leaving the church. And I hear this from many other pastors because their members feel like they're not getting what they want. And to such people, I want to gently and carefully explain to them that if if they're looking for a church where they feel like they're fed they might never find a church that satisfies their appetite. Actually, any church that faithfully preaches God's word and the true gospel is already feeding their people. Any church that is in the Word together is actually feeding together. Any church that speaks the truth of God in love, face to face, is actually feeding one another. Of course, there is room for churches and for us to grow in these ways. But my point is, if everyone is waiting to be fed, no one on the other hand, if everyone is trying to feed, everyone will be fed. Believers all say that we want to be faithful servants of God. And now we must learn what that actually means. To be a faithful servant and to stay faithful until he returns, we must be faithful in God's household. We must be in the church. there are. Several good gospel proclaiming churches throughout our city and community that believers can join in covenant with. None of these faithful churches are perfect, including ours here at HMCC. I encourage all believers here then, let's desire to be like this faithful and wise servant. Let's help one another be ready for Christ's return by keeping one another accountable, especially when we see each other drifting into spiritual sleepiness and drowsiness. We're going to see others being unfaithful, calling out to them, making sure that they stay awake, making sure that they stay faithful to our Lord because He will return at any time when we don't expect. So I think it's appropriate for us to turn to some people around us and tell them, I will help you stay awake. Help me be faithful. You can just turn to somebody and say that I will help you Stay away, not just in the sermon right now, but I will help you stay away. Help me. I James. Stay away. love you're sleeping. This is our commitment. If this church can be full of such faithful servants, feeding one another with God's word, we can know with greater assurance that we are waiting for the great blessing that is to be. but also the blessing of greater responsibility when we are in heaven. That's why Jesus says in verses 43 to 44, pointing to this, he says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will send it over all his possessions. We can be assured as we help one another to be faithful, as we feed together on God's word, that when Jesus returns again, he will welcome us in That we will reign with Christ forever over all of his possessions for all eternity in his eternal glory. So may we be found faithful, helping one another stay awake, helping one another be faithful as well in God's household together. Last lesson: Stay sober, because the Lord will punish unfaithful servants as unbelievers when he returns. It'd be nice to end on that high note, Last lesson, but there's also a sobering reality, even in the Lord's household. The sobering reality that we must accept is that even in the church there will be some servants who are not truly his servants. We see this reality in the final parable, the unfaithful servant. He says in verse 45, But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, to eat and drink and get drunk. Pause you know, there, because we need to note the comparison. The wise and the faithful servant is the one who listens and obeys to the instruction of the Lord, the Word of God. But notice here again that the people that compared to the one who fails, and notice here that the people who fail in Jesus' parables are the ones who speak to themselves. We saw this back in the parable of the rich fool, when it was all about me, myself, and I. Remember how the rich fool thought to himself, talked to himself, convinced himself, made plans for himself, and encouraged himself in his selfish ways. He had no one else to speak into his life to be faithful to God with the resources he was given. And so this unfaithful servant in this parable is also found speaking to himself and he comes to his own conclusions. And instead of faithfully feeding the household, the selfish servant abuses the other servants. Instead of using the master's resources for his purposes, to build up his household, he uses it to indulge himself. He is caught drunk on wine, but also drunk in his selfish pleasures and his evil desires. This is another solving reality our world is full of spiritual sedatives, spiritual drugs that none are spiritual senses, And pleasure is one of them. That's why God's word calls us to keep awake and to stay sober. It means that it's literally sober as in don't get drunk with alcohol or intoxicated by dru- other, other things like drugs. Our guards go down when we are drunk. So it's the perfect illustration here to describe The spiritual state that we must battle against. Our reasoning gets compromised when we're drunk. We cannot think straight. We endanger others around us whom we ought to love. And therefore, we become easy targets for Satan to tempt us and lure us into sin. And so being sober also means to be sober minded. It means to be not to not be influenced by the evil and the wickedness of this world. Because they are intoxicating to our souls. We have to be aware that Satan is actively trying to take even the good things of the world to become temptations that feed our pleasures. That's part of his masterful deception. To take pleasure which God created for us to experience in relationship with him. Satan takes pleasure to lure many souls away from God. To enjoy pleasure in ways and in degrees which God has forbidden. So we must reflect and assess our hearts. What are your own conclusions that you have made about the pleasures of life that are outside of God's intention and His good instruction? Is it in food and drink as your comfort? Is it in romantic relationships? We find great pleasure is in money and earthly possessions. Be sober-minded and surrender such thoughts and evil desires to God, because such pleasures can be temptations that lead servants away from our Master. So, going back to this passage, we are faced with the uh, with the alarming words of warning from Jesus. He says in verse forty-six master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour he does not know and he will cut it in pieces and put it with the unfaithful what a graphic illustration! it sounds like a horror movie but keep in mind it's only a sign it's only a sign of the reality of the day of the lord which is the day of judgment when jesus returns Yes, it's a day that the Lord, he will, when He comes, will bring blessings of heaven, the blessing of heaven to those who believe, to those who are faithful, but it's a sign of the reality of the day of judgment that He will also bring to those who do not believe. We need to understand that the reality will be greater than the sign, the, the reality Will be great, it's greater than the parables and the illustrations that Jesus uses. If we think it's a terrible thing to be cut into pieces, we will not be able to imagine the true horror of the day of judgment when God rightfully punishes unbelievers. And there will be an eternity in the fiery furnace of God's wrath with weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who do not believe. For those who say they believe, but were unfaithful in living out their faith, proving that their confession was a false confession. They only look like a servant in God's household. They are the ones who call Jesus, Lord, Lord, but did not do what the Lord told us to do. These unfaithful servants will be judged and punished as unbelievers in hell. This is all seriously unsettling, and it should be. But there's more. Jesus says, such unfaithful servants will be punished severely to a greater degree. In verse 47, he says, The servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, people who did not, uh, even people who did not know and did what deserved punishment will be beaten. How much more the servant who knew his master's will and did not get ready, did not act according to his will, how severely will he be punished? Because everyone is responsible and will be held accountable before God. So Jesus solemnly warns us in the end of verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given Of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. For those unfaithful servants, who have heard the truth of Jesus Christ, who have heard the instructions of our Lord, and still choose to be unfaithful, they were given so much of the words of life. And so much will be required. to all that they have been entrusted with. Even in the church, in God's household, there will be some servants who are not truly as servants. We don't know who they will be. Of course, we will do our best to be able to affirm one another's incredible confession of faith. We want to hear the gospel come from your lips. We want to see you live out the gospel in your lives. But at Judgment Day, we will know what's truly in each other's hearts, but our Lord, and our judgment. And so I hope we will all seriously consider what our responsibility is before God and what our responsibility is to one another. Before God, I hope these words of Jesus do alarm us because if these words don't mean anything to our hearts, I'm afraid that it might be a sign of your heart growing numb to the truth of God's word. If you feel, on the other hand, if you feel the fear of God, and you feel again right now the seriousness of sin and hell, I encourage you. Because I believe it's an assuring sign that our hearts are still awake, that our hearts are still sober to the words of life that Jesus speaks. And so continue to believe by faith that Jesus will return at any, any moment as He promised. Continue to believe and trust in His Word. Continue to be faithful even though he will come, but we won't be expecting him at all. Don't for a moment doubt is coming. Yes, it's been 2,000 years since the Lord Jesus first came on the first Christmas, died on the first Good Friday, rose again on the first Easter, and ascended on the Ascension Day. But don't think for a moment. Don't think for a moment that he has forgotten his promise that he will return, but be assured in our hope that he will come again the same way he went to heaven. Carefully consider this, especially during Ascension Day this week, because as surely as Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins, and as surely he rose again to prove his power over sin and death, as surely as Jesus has saved those of faith from an eternity in hell, surely. Jesus will come again to bring us home. So, seriously consider our responsibility, what we have been entrusted with, and flee from all that would make us intoxicated and drunk and lose our spiritual senses in this world. May we also consider seriously the responsibility we have to one another. May we understand that being part of a church and being part of God's household. It's not just like being part of a social club. It's not just about spending time with each other before Jesus returns. Rather, as we have covenanted with each other as a church, we must feel the urgency to help one another grow in God's Word. To help one another keep that light shining brightly in our spiritual darkness. To understand that together we must be ready for Christ to return. Not trying to escape our current reality. To all the more help one another be faithful, obedient servants watching for our Lord. Asking one another are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord to return? So together let's consider how we can apply God's word into our lives. I've mentioned that throughout the sermon but here's a summary of our life application that we can consider this week. First, taking God's word. Learn from God's word. Take in the words of life that shines in our spiritual darkness. Learn the reality that Jesus is is returning soon. And think about how we will live our lives. Will we obey Jesus' words? Will we do all that our Lord? in this household. So think again. Think for yourselves. How can you commit to feeding others in this church? As we have been entrusted by our Lord. And may our actions and our attitudes, our serving and our sacrifice for one another reveal Jesus and reveal His service and His sacrifice for us. And lastly, confess any unfaithfulness and get accountability to stay sober. Remember that the temptations of this world, especially for pleasure, they numb our spiritual awareness and alertness. So, what are our addictive behaviors that we go to to ease our mind? What are the things that we run to that soothe our stress and our sufferings? Be warned again that such pleasures can make us drunk in our spiritual discernment and awareness. Do whatever it takes, then, even if it means to abstain. From these things. Flee from these temptations. Obviously, if it's a sin, don't do it at all. But well, even what's in those great areas, be sober and prayerfully consider fasting for some time. Spending greater more time in God's Word and in prayer. But also to stay sober, get accountability, confess sins to one another, confess unfaithfulness to God, to God, to one another. Understand that unfaithfulness can become contagious in our spiritual household. If we see one person being unfaithful and seeing their lives are turning out well, almost looks like they're enjoying their life of unfaithfulness. We can easily be tempted too, to follow them that path. So get accountability to call out unfaithfulness, to share our struggles and sin. How we seek out pleasure greater than God. Ask for support, ask for prayer from one another.